What's up everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 164 of the VK Bros with just one of the VK Bros today, me, Jason Von Cannell. As uh, Alex is currently away on holidays in Japan, we did try our best to make the equipment work, but the $250 he spent on the internet over there was so bad that it couldn't even download an Instagram reel, so obviously broadcasting over the internet was not going to be possible. And I've also come to find that I'm having some major technical difficulties. So they often say in show business that you should never work with children or animals. And normally when we do the show, I do a lot of setup on my end and then Alex will do a lot of the resources and things from his end. So I don't really have to touch too much during the show itself. And from setting it up today, what I've come to find is that uh, my touchpad on my laptop is broken. And as my laptop only has two USB ports, I had to decide between having a microphone, a mouse, or a camera. Now, obviously, I need a microphone, otherwise you guys can't hear what I have to say. Uh, the problem that I have, though, is without the mouse, because the touchpad is broken, I can't even hit record. Which means I've had to make the harsh decision to not go with the camera today. So I'm sorry that you're not going to be able to see my beautiful face. Uh, but it's it's just the way it's going to have to be until Alex gets back at this stage because the kids have obviously been playing with my laptop and have actually snapped the touchpad button. So, never fear. With Alex away, we still have plenty to talk about this week. There, there have been some big things going on in the news uh, surrounding... Look, obviously, the, the big story of the week is the uh, cancellation, essentially, of Russell Brand. So I'm going to go into that. But I've got some interesting takes on that that I think that are a little bit different to what everyone else is sort of speaking about. Um, I also want to go into what is happening sort of secondary to that news story behind the scenes uh, while everyone's attention is on the Russell Brand allegations because there is still plenty going on with that as well. So look, let's just get straight into it. Uh, and I, I do, if you are watching on Rumble... Uh, please be sure I do have some visual aids that I'll be going to shortly. Um, we've just got a little bit more stuff to go through and then I'll bring those up. So it will be a little bit more visually appearing than just looking at this opening screen here. So let's get stuck into it. So this news this week came out and I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon. So it has been a few days since the allegations against Russell Brand have come out. And I'm glad that I've waited this long because obviously... Whenever these big stories come out, everyone wants to be first to press, first person to have a, an opinion on the subject and get straight out to the market. And I'm glad I didn't because uh, as someone who has followed Russell Brand's work, uh, particularly over the last two years, I was, I'm actually more of a fan of his recent work than I was a fan of his movies back when he was in his heyday, sort of 10 years ago. Uh, it's very, very interesting timing for these allegations to surface all of a sudden. So just as a reminder for any of you who haven't heard about it, Russell Brand has had uh, four, there was a, a Channel 4, which is a, a, a TV station in the UK, report into four anonymous women who have made uh, sexual uh, assault allegations against Russell Brand, uh, one of which was a 16-year-old girl and there was some sort of grooming accusations going on there as well. Um, now, as as at Sunday, uh, these allegations are still just that. They are just allegations. There have been no police investigations, no charges laid. Uh, 
uh, funnily enough, the the grooming uh, sentiment by the 16-year-old girl, uh, funnily enough, in the UK, 16 is actually the legal age of consent, so I don't really know how you can refer to that as grooming, but anyway, obviously, big news, and what is what is remarkable about this situation for me is that there's obviously two sides to the well two supporter bases in regards to this situation the first one is i guess the mainstream supporter base that are pro cancellation of russell brand uh they think he's disgusting they think all of these bad things and then there's i guess the red pill community that has come out and gone no nah, this is this is a matrix attack this is just the system trying to take down russell brand because he has been speaking against the elites for the last two years on his youtube channel and his following has has increased to a point where he's now starting to become a problem and i'll freely admit that was my first thought in regards to these allegations was the latter because the timing is is rather rather interesting as the i think the most recent allegation was from roughly 10 years ago and actually go back as far as about 16 years ago so Here's, here's my number one issue with all this, because obviously a lot of people are covering this story at the moment, but the biggest concern that I have at the moment is, and this is something that we've discussed on the show many times before, we currently live in a post-truth world where facts don't matter anymore, feelings are the only things that matter. And what do I mean by that? Essentially, we live in a society now where if you let's say that I, I don't know whether the allegations are true or not and uh, I'm very consistent in regards to every single case like this in which I feel that both the accuser and the accused have the right to a full independent investigation and to have their day in court and whatever the outcome is of a court case that should decide who is in the right and who is in the wrong. But that's not the way that our society works at the moment. Our society is based far more on people's reputations being damaged through trial by media and trial by social media up front. And as we speak about a lot, same as things like fact-checking articles. Everyone only reads the headline and maybe the first blurb at the top. They don't actually stick around, read through the entire article and see down the bottom where the fact-check actually contradicts itself, for example. And... With things like this, this Russell Brand situation, what is is super concerning about it is what has happened to him is very, very similar to what happened to Andrew Tate. So when Andrew Tate was starting to build his audience and then he got a full-blown, what he referred to as the Matrix attack, uh, he was deplatformed off just about everywhere he could have been platformed. Uh, that was before Elon Musk owned Twitter, so he was kicked off Twitter uh, he's gone through it many times. He's even had like uh, PayPal deplatformed him. He got debanked by his bank, uh, all based off essentially allegations. And a similar thing has happened to Russell Brand. So immediately after this happened, YouTube uh, demonetized his channel. And what is what is again quite Orwellian and quite scary is uh, shortly after the allegations surfaced. Uh, Russell Brand actually put up a video of, uh, of himself on Rumble addressing the allegations. But a member of the UK Parliament actually has been sending letters around to different social media platforms 
essentially expressing concern at Russell Brand's ability to monetize his content on those platforms because of the allegations that were leveled against him. And I've got one of the letters here uh, that was sent to Chris Pavlovsky, who is the CEO of Rumble. Obviously, Rumble is a, is in the crosshairs of uh, the UK government at the moment because the UK government is bringing through a very similar misinformation censorship bill as what we are uh, seeing here in Australia. And so they reached out to, to Chris by letter, and I'll read the letter to you here. So this is from the Culture, Media and Sport Committee. Uh, Dear Chris, I'm writing concerning the serious allegations regarding Russell Brand in the context of his being a content provider on Rumble with more than 1.4 million followers. The Culture, Media and Sport Committee is raising questions with the broadcasters and production companies who previously employed Mr. Brand to examine both the culture of the industry in the past and whether that culture still prevails today. However, we are also looking at his use of social media, including on Rumble, where he issued his preemptive response to the accusations made against him by the Sunday Times and Channel 4's dispatches. While we recognise that Rumble is not the creator of the content, published by Mr. Brand, we are concerned that he may be able to profit from his content on the platform. So I just want to draw your attention to that. We are concerned that he may be able to profit from his content on the platform. Let that sink in. Continuing on, we are uh, we would be grateful if you could confirm whether Mr. Brand is able to monetize his content, including his videos related to the serious accusations against him. If so, we would like to know whether Rumble intends to join YouTube in suspending Mr. Brand's ability to earn money on the platform. We would also like to know what Rumble is doing to ensure that creators are not able to use the platform to undermine the welfare of victims of inappropriate and potentially illegal behavior. Yours sincerely, Dame Caroline Dinanage, uh, who is the chair of the Culture, Media and Sport Committee. So that's wild. That is absolutely Wild. So just consider this for what it is, like if you break down the situation. And again, I just want to reiterate because the, the, the accusations are obviously extremely emotionally triggering accusations, especially for women. And I totally empathize with that. But let me, let's break down what this actually is. This is a public person, a media personality who has been accused of crimes by four anonymous people who, and the accusations were leveled via the media, not to the police. No charges have been laid. Uh, there, is, there is no court cases scheduled, no nothing. There's never been a court case. These accusations have never been challenged at all because you can't challenge an anonymous accuser. And so they, they are just accusations. Now you have the UK Parliament reaching out to private and public companies that are based in different countries attempting to get this gentleman's ability to make an income on those platforms removed from him based on nothing but allegations. This is a very distressing direction that our world is, he is heading into. Because, like I said before, we live in a post-truth world now. And, not, and the information space moves so quickly 
over and over and over and over and over again that all you need to do is you need to raise an allegation in public you give and it's a coordinated media attack every media company picks up the narrative and runs with it we've seen it in australia for anyone who's paid attention to uh you know new stories popping up on like facebook and etc they're all our our local shows whether it's sunrise or other programs that have interviewed russell brand in the past and they all just take a, a female interviewer and they say something along the lines of oh yes he was overtly sexual oh he was creepy oh this or oh, that completely forgetting the fact that russell brand's entire media persona 10 to 15 years ago what made him famous was being overtly sexual that's literally who he was if anyone has seen forgetting sarah marshall it was literally his character and that's what made him famous that was celebrated back when he was famous and now you have this coordinated media response now it can be it can be not even one of two things it can be uh, many different there can be many different reasons for the coordinated media response number one is it gets eyeballs so number one first and foremost media companies are businesses just like everyone else and their number one concern is their bottom line and how they're going to get eyeballs. So you can hitch your wagon to the horse of the day, which is Russell Brand, because he's getting whipped. And if everyone has their own take and their own story, and I guess, look, even we're guilty of it by speaking about it on the podcast here. But we're also not monetized either. So hopefully you can uh, take what we're saying uh, with a little bit more gusto and a little less grain of salt. So it could just be, it's going to get eyeballs, so let's hitch our wagon to it and let's make, make that money while it's available. Make hay while the sun shines, as the saying goes. But it also could be, let's all jump on board and attack this person because whether there's been orders that have come from above, obviously a lot of media companies are all owned by the same people anyway. And, and before you just say it's the investment firms like your Vanguards and your Blackrocks and your State Streets, and to a degree that is correct, um, a lot of it is just basically, like in, in Australia, for example, uh, we have two media companies in Australia. It's Channel 9 and Fairfax. That's it. So a lot of the different news content that you consume actually all comes from the same uh, organisations. It's just designed to appeal to a different clientele. But I just want to reiterate, we should be very, very concerned that our society is moving to a point where you're essentially able to remove people from society, public discourse, destroy their reputation, remove their ability to earn an income, purely based on anonymous allegations. And it doesn't, you don't have to look back too far through history to see multiple examples of fake allegations that have been leveled as a means to some sort of other end and I'll, let me just refresh some of your memories obviously there's the andrew tate and tristan tate story that's probably the most recent and high profile case where essentially those guys got locked up for six months in a romanian prison for apparent and they were called sex traffickers there were sex traffickers oh disgusting sex traffickers but to this day, no charges have ever actually been laid. The way that Romanian law works is they can actually lock you up and then investigate for crimes after that. And the stipulation is that at the end of the 30 days, you just need to go to a judge and say, hey, we've, we've found some more information, so can we extend it for another 30 days? And you can do that up to a total of 180 days. 
which is why those guys spent six months in prison. And they're still on house arrest now, based on nothing but accusations. Uh, Another recent example, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. So when James O'Keefe got ousted from Project Veritas, and again, he is another person who is anti-establishment, wants to shine light in the darkness and, and expose people who are doing corrupt things. And he just got ousted from his own company that he created, Project Veritas. And when that happened, what do they talk about? Oh, he stole a sandwich from a pregnant woman. Uh, he spent too much money on black cars to drive him around. He was always traveling on the private jet. So there was, there was an attempt to ruin James's reputation when that happened. Here's another one, Kevin Spacey. So Kevin Spacey is one where he was accused of uh, sexual allegations, uh, I believe grooming of an underage man and some other sort of male-on-male sexual allegations back in the day. And I actually was... I, I sort of got swept up into that because this was... I'm not sure exactly when those allegations first started, but it started probably before I started really paying too much attention. And... Again, what most people don't realise, and if you look it up, Kevin Spacey was actually acquitted of all those charges. But when the allegations happened, there was a giant media storm about it. But when the uh, acquittal came through, they don't really talk about it. Now, again, that could literally just be because it's not as interesting. And all that would do is possibly cause viewers or listeners to maybe distrust the media outlet that had been filling their headlines with those allegations for years prior to if they then had to come out and go oh actually it was all false but one of the most high profile ones that at least here in australia that we can we can talk about is julian assange now let's let's not forget who julian assange is what he did for the world and also what he's currently going through so Julian Assange is guilty of nothing more than being a journalist. He just published information that was given to him by someone else. Just as every other media company around the world does every single day. And yet, he has been persecuted for the last, essentially, 20 years. Now, anyone who followed Julian Assange's case knew that America was doing anything they could to get him extradited to the States because they want to try him in their courts and it wasn't it wasn't happening it wasn't working and then all of a sudden out of nowhere Julian Assange was accused by two women in Sweden of rape just all of a sudden and then they were trying to get Julian Assange extradited extradited sorry to Sweden to face these charges and that was when he ran into, I think it was the Ecuadorian embassy, because he knew what the game was. He knew they were trying to get him extradited to Sweden because then Sweden uh, was going to hand him over to the US. Though Those charges have since been dropped because they were, they were never charges to begin with. It's just a means to an end. And the issue that you've, that you've got to think about is why is it, number one, that this is so effective? That's the first question you have to ask. Why is it so effective to use these stories to discredit influential people? And I think it is, I think it is fascinating because 
sexual crimes, I think, are viewed in our society at a much higher level of scrutiny than things such as fraud or even violent crimes. I think if, if a man assaults another man in the street or a man sexually assaults a woman in her house, I think everyone looks at the sexual assault in the house far worse than two men getting in a fight in the street. So it is, it's very effective. If you want to ruin someone's reputation, it is very, very effective to go with sexual crimes. I mean, even just look at uh, the most recent Donald Trump uh, case. The, the lady who, like, I think it was the, the New York State changed the laws. So you had a one-year window where the statute of limitations on sexual assaults was removed. So you had one year to get any allegations that were outside the statute of limitations. And then there was that lady who accused him of uh, sexually assaulting her in a, uh, in a change room at a, at a clothing store. And these allegations are like 30 years old. And then it went through a court in New York, which is a very blue state, very Democrat, pro-Democrat, anti-Trump state. And he was found liable. Now, found liable doesn't mean found guilty. He was found liable for sexual assault against this lady, even though she had zero evidence. Again, that is an extremely scary proposition. That you can literally go through a court case, someone can come in and have literally nothing, no evidence, just my word against theirs, but just because the people in that state don't like your politics, you can be found liable for it. And again, like it, it was a civil case, not a criminal case. There's no jail time. There's no, there's no um, compensation power, no nothing. All it's designed to do is to make people think that Donald Trump is a sex offender because they're trying to ruin his name so he doesn't get re-elected again in 2024. So I really, I really want people to think about, like, whenever accusations such as this come up, I just want you to think about, put yourself in the shoes of the accused, the accusee. Put yourself in their shoes. If it was ever to happen to you that anonymous allegations were going to be leveled against you for sexual impropriety, would you want the, the, the justice system that we are supposed to have in the West, which is the presumption of innocence until proven guilty? Would you not want that protection for yourself? And I get it. Sexual crimes are the most heinous crimes that I feel that you can commit, especially against children. I absolutely understand that. But they're also the absolutely most heinous crimes to wrongfully accuse someone of. And again, recent high-profile case in Australia to refer to was the Brittany Higgins, Bruce Lehman accusations. And as Alex and I discussed on the podcast, the, the, the finale of that was the absolute worst-case scenario for literally the entire country. No one knows whether the accusations were true or false because the court case never, never finalised. Uh, obviously, the first court case got thrown out because a juror brought in some outside information and then Brittany decided not to go through with a second trial. So she never gets to be vindicated in court if the accusations are correct. He never gets to have his name cleared in court. He will always be known as accused rapist Bruce Lehman for the rest of his life. And the worst thing about all of these things is it makes it so much harder for real victims. 
Real victims, as usual, are the victims here. Because now, when these things, when these situations come up, and then they just flit away and there's no resolution at the end of them, it makes people question the next real victim who comes along and says, hey, this happened to me. And quite rightly, there are a multitude of reasons why women don't come forward with these accusations. Namely because it's really embarrassing for a start. Also because they don't think that they'll be believed. So all of the, uh, any false accusations that are just thrown out there to muddy someone's reputation, you know, when it comes out and that they're proven to be false, all it does is just makes it harder for more victims in the future. And that's the saddest reality out of all of it. So I guess to, to put my thoughts out there with this whole Russell Brand situation, look, at the end of the day, we don't know if the allegations are true or false, but we do know a few things. Number one, at the moment, they were all just allegations leveled by anonymous people. Number two, they went to the media instead of going to the police. And if there are any real victims of crimes that are listening to this show, the number one thing that I would urge you to do is document everything and go to the police as soon as you can. And I understand that it's difficult. I totally do. But just go to the police. Let, let the law do their jobs. Because if you do decide down the track to pursue something, it's, it's very, very difficult for you. Very difficult. So, just allegations at this point in time by anonymous women against a man who has been speaking against the establishment for the last at least two to three years, who has been increasing his following online, getting more and more people on board. And you can see, and I'm sure it's just my algorithm on social media that shows me these particular comments first, but he gets a lot of support in, in comments about any news article that gets put up on social media about Russell Brand and previous interviews where they pretend that the, the uh, interviewer was uncomfortable. Let's just all support for him. And that may be a good thing, it may be a bad thing. Because at the end of the day, if it comes out that these allegations are true, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to upset a lot of people. But here's my second thoughts on this. Just because someone is accused of something particularly heinous, or whether they did something particularly heinous or not, does it mean we have to throw out the message? Because that's the other thing about, about these tactics, which is so effective, is essentially, in, a, in sporting terms, it's called playing the man, not playing the ball. So I was, to give you an example, I was having a chat with a, a friend of mine on uh, Friday night because we we're watching the Storm versus the Panthers in the NRL. And for anyone who's not a league fan, the Panthers are the best team in the league and have been for the last three years straight. And by all intents and purposes, they were supposed to roll over the Storm in that game. And in the first 20 minutes, one of the Storm players, a big giant dude called Nelson Asafa Solomona, was playing so dirty. He was hitting people late. He was roughing people up on the ground. He kept giving away penalties. And my mate texted me saying, I, I can't, like, he's got to stop doing all this stuff. He's so dirty. It's, it's just bullshit. And I said, the problem is, I guarantee you, he's been told by his coach to play that way. Because if these two teams just showed up and played football, there's absolutely no way the Storm can beat the Panthers by just playing the game. They had to play the man instead. And that is a big, a big consideration around why, like, they, they, we will have these sorts of psyops where we play the man instead of playing the ball. Because what they're really trying to do is discredit the message. 
And to give you a recent example, just look at COVID. Obviously, COVID was the most invasive thing that's happened in our society. In as far as as long as I've been alive, that's the most invade the biggest invasion of privacy and civil liberties that I've ever seen a government commit in at least our country. Obviously, I've seen way worse overseas, but but it's the worst I've ever seen from an Australian government. And think about people who came out on the wrong side of the mainstream narrative and were actively trying to put put uh, alternative narrative narratives out into the marketplace of ideas, such as you know, use the using ivermectin to as a prophylactic or to treat COVID, for example. What do they do to those people? They call them all the names under the sun. They call them anti-vaxxers. They call them right-wing neo-Nazi extremists. Um, think about the, the trucking convoy in Canada. The trucking convoy, which was protesting against mandatory vaccinations for truckers to go over the borders. And Justin Trudeau, their, their leader who's supposed to be a liberal, like one of the feeling uh, parties, liberal leader, came out. And what did he do? He called them all the names under the sun. Oh, they are anti-vaxxers. They are often misogynist. Like all all of the names that you can call them, they, they just try to smear the, the, the people. Because what that does is if you if you smear the person, then the message gets lost. Because people don't want to listen to someone that they don't have respect for or they they think are disgusting. They other those people. Donald Trump is a perfect example of this. If you actually look at what Donald Trump did in his uh, presidential term, he did some really, really good things. And it's not even just things like, you know, the economy that was going extremely well or... Uh, he didn't start any new wars. He was the first president in a long time who hasn't started a new conflict. And hey, look, Joe Biden came straight back into office and it was business as usual. But even things that he never gets any credit for in the mainstream press, like he, he uh, manufactured the Abraham Accords. He's essentially bringing peace to the Middle East with a whole bunch of different Middle Eastern countries who've been at each other's throats for centuries and getting them all to sign onto the Abraham Accords as, as like a peace uh, cooperation treaty. Like, that's, that's a real achievement. But what do, we, what do we hear from the mainstream press about Donald Trump? He's a misogynist. He's a, you know, accused sexual assaulter. I oh, just talk about him grabbing girls by the pussy. Because they don't want you to listen to what these people have to say. So they just want to uh, attack the man and discredit the message. And there's other parts of life that we... We, have, we experience, I guess, similar things. And like, let's think of music. So Michael Jackson was accused of pedophilia, but we still listen to his music because whether he was a pedophile or not, beat it's a banger, right? Can, can we as a society separate the message from the man or are we far too emotional now? I really do fear that we have literally, we've thrown out stoicism. Our entire society is based around how you feel at any given time and how you should always feel good. And if there's anything that is making you not feel good, uh, that thing should be removed. You shouldn't change your response to it. The thing that's making you feel bad should be removed. You should be in a perpetual safe space. 
Well, that makes it very, very easy to remove messages which maybe you need to hear. Just to give you a blatant example, if you've got a fat friend who's obese, who's unhealthy, you should probably say to them, hey, I love you and I really care about you. I think you're holding too much weight. Can we talk about ways that, that you could potentially drop a couple of kilos because it's going to prolong your life? And it's not going to even just make you live longer. It's going to make your livable years far longer as well. That's the right thing to do. That's the nice thing to do to that person. But our society would tell you, no, 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 you're fat shaming that person. That's, that's a bad thing to do. It's a, it's a real... It, it, the world is sort of upside down of what it should be. And I do feel that a lot of that is by design. And I don't necessarily think that it's all nefarious. Like nefarious in the sort of new world order, global elites type way. I just think at the end of the day, it makes it really, really easy to make money out of all of us. It's the easiest thing in the world. Instead of having hard conversations with each other about the things that we need to do to, to fix our own lives and get our own fulfillment, well, just go and take a pill. Someone can make money off your pill. Or, uh, you know, go and do some experience that you can pay for. Go and buy a video game. You know, spend all your time online. Go on social media. Like, we, are, we have moved way too far away from things that are actually good for us. And we're now at a point where people are so confused about what the truth of any matter is that they just don't, they don't even know where to start when it comes to trying to, you know, actually fix things for themselves. And even worse, I think a lot of people are being programmed to the point where they don't want to actively fix things for themselves because they think some external thing can fix every problem they have for them. And that's not the case. It all starts and it ends with you. Okay, I've been rambling on about that stuff too long. So let's let's move on a little bit. But one thing I want to say about the Russell Brand thing, and, and particularly about the uh, destruction of people's uh, reputations to destroy their message. I've got a little clip here that I'm going to play from a journalist called Glenn Greenwald. He's a very, very good journalist. Uh, and I found his take on this extremely interesting. So, so this is from a video he put up about Russell Brand. And just as a precursor, because I don't want to put words in his mouth, he is neither supporting nor uh, Russell Brand nor supporting his accusers. He believes in uh, the rule of law, innocence till proven guilty, and due process, which I am too. But I thought he had this little little clip here, which I thought was very very interesting, and I just want you guys to listen to it. And we'll just we'll come back afterwards. Stuck with me when. I was a child, one of my childhood heroes was Dan Yellsberg. I've talked about this before. I wrote an article on Rolling Stone when Dan Yellsberg passed away two or three months ago. And I was always obsessed with the Pentagon Papers in my childhood. I read everything I could and got my hands on it. I thought it was this incredibly fascinating story that this person very high up inside the US government who had been trained for all sorts of security clearances to be one of the most influential and powerful people in Cold War US security state policymaking, turned on the very establishment that had given him all of his credentials and power because he realized the government was systematically lying to the country about the Vietnam War, conscripting Americans to go fight and die in the jungles of Vietnam in a war that the United States uh, that, the, that American elites who are making these decisions knew they couldn't win. And as a result, he risked his liberty to 
take these documents that were top secret that proved the government was lying and give them to the media, much like Edward Snowden did 30 or 40 years later, which is why Ellsberg said he considers Snowden a hero. But one of the things that I could never understand, I don't just mean childhood, but even in, into to my adulthood, was the response of the Nixon administration when Ellsberg leaked these documents was to break into the office of Danny Ellsberg's psychoanalyst in order to discover his psychosexual secrets so that they could link them to the media and discredit Ellsberg. And the reason I didn't understand that in, in my naivete was it was a gigantic non sequitur. Here's evidence proving the U.S. government systematically lied to the American people about the Vietnam War. Oh, well, here's evidence showing that Danny Ellsberg has bizarre fetishes and sexual fantasies and a wild sexual life. Why would one have anything to do with the other, I wondered in my naivete. And then as I began understanding better how these events work, I came to realize that this is often a tactic to discredit people that you want to discredit. Sexual scandals are the thing that people love to wallow in. They pay attention to them. They make somebody radioactive. It's the same that was done with Julian Assange. I'm not suggesting, again, that these cases are identical. I'm simply saying that it is not some bizarre conspiracy theory that when you want to go and discredit somebody because they have a politically influential platform spreading an ideology you find menacing, one of the favorite ways to do that is to dig into somebody's sexual past and reveal things about what they did in their private life. It's one of the most effective ways. People love sex scandals. They're easy to understand. And eventually you make, they make people just want to turn away from the person that they've linked them to. And again, there are cases where this was done and it turned out to be evidence-free. Matt Gates is one of them. And there are a lot of other ones as well. So exactly like what he said there, it is just a really, really effective tool used by the... Uh, I mean, like he literally says in that situation, used by the Nixon administration, a government did this, just to discredit someone, to discredit their message. So my lesson out of this for all of you is the next time you hear of an accusation such as this, I want you to dig that little bit deeper, peel off the next layer of the onion, as Alex always says. Who made the accusation? Who did they make the accusation to? Was it to the media or was it to the police? And and actually give that person due process, innocent until proven guilty. Now, while this was all going on and taking up your mainstream airwaves, there's actually a lot of other things happening in the background too, both in America and also over here in Australia. And I just thought I would quickly go through a couple of these things now uh, because you may have missed them. So firstly, Hunter Biden had been indicted uh, due to the felony gun charges. Now, this is a news story from uh, CNN from the 14th of September. So you'll remember a little while ago, Alex and I discussed, uh, there was that sweetheart plea deal that Hunter Biden was offered by the special prosecutor. Oh, sorry, it wasn't a special prosecutor at the time. But he was offered a sweetheart deal where essentially if he if he pleaded guilty to two counts of uh, tax, well, not, not even tax fraud. 
they're just unpaid taxes, that they were actually going to bypass the felony gun charge that he'd also been accused of. And the reason why that was so concerning was because the, the, the gun charge is a felony, which means it, it has to result in jail time. And then that deal just fell over at the last minute, at the nth hour. So whilst all of this Russell Brand stuff has been sort of cooking away, he has actually been formally indicted now for that gun charge. So I'm just going just gonna to read this briefly. Uh, President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, has been indicted by special counsel David Weiss in connection with a gun he purchased in 2018. The first time in US history, the Justice Department has charged the child of a sitting president. Now, one thing I just want to, again, remind you of. Remember how every single other time a major accusation, either against Hunter Biden or his father for things such as the influence peddling operations he was doing overseas, every other time that happened, the next day, uh, the Department of Justice would indict Trump with something. They did it three times in a row, and we went through that on the show a few weeks ago. So literally the day after an accusation uh, came out about the Bidens, they would go and they would indict Trump for something. And then the next time it happened again, they would add charges to the thing they'd already indicted him for. Now, one of the things which, again, I don't know if these are linked, but it's interesting to, to think about, is what we have noticed, and I think what they have noticed too, they being the Democrats and the Department of Justice, is that every single time they indicted Trump on these trumped up charges but his approval in the polls went up which i don't think they were expecting and every single time they have indicted him again they have given him more and more support so if that was a strategy to try to stop trump from winning the election next year well obviously it wasn't working but you still need to cover the news with with something else whenever something comes up that is major against your family and as this article suggests this is the first time in u.s history the justice department has charged the child of a sitting president so the russell brand story all i'm going to say is very very convenient timing for them especially considering the fact that most of the allegations are over a decade old uh the allegations if if you would have taking him to court back in the day that was when he was at the absolute height of his fame and probably financial fortune so maybe there was some more money to be taken there don't forget too we also he he somehow managed to scoot through the entire four or five years of the me too movement with no accusations made during that time so it's just very very convenient timing for for the biden family that this story happened to take over our new our airwaves but getting back to the story the three charges include making false statements on a federal firearms form and possession of a firearm as a prohibited person. Here's what to know. What led up to the indictment? Weiss has been leading the Hunter Biden investigation since late 2018. The probe appeared to be winding down in June when Weiss announced a two-pronged agreement under which Biden would plead guilty to two federal tax misdemeanors and enter into a diversion agreement where the gun charge would be dropped in two years if he passed regular drug tests and stayed out of legal trouble. But it, oh, don't forget too, there was that... Uh, packet of white powder that was found in the white house recently and there weren't enough cameras in there to find out whose it was but at a court hearing in july the deal collapsed under scrutiny from the federal judge overseeing the case weiss was granted special counsel privileges in august so even that part was dodgy so david weiss has been accused of actually holding up the investigation into biden for years 
then he was the one who was the architect of this sweetheart deal with the diversion agreement and then he's been he's the same person who's been granted special counsel privileges in august to completely oversee this case so that's a little bit dodgy so the gun was purchased in 2018 hunter biden's gun related uh, legal troubles relate to a firearm he purchased in october 2018 and possessed for about 11 days while buying a revolver at a Delaware gun shop, he lied on a federal form where he swore that he was not using and was not addicted to any illegal drugs. Prosecutors allege he was struggling with crack cocaine addiction at the time of the purchase. Uh, these are the charges. The three-count indictment was handed up Thursday by a federal grand jury in Delaware. Uh, according to court filings, count one accuses Hunter Biden of lying on an ATF form when he bought the gun by falsely swearing he wasn't addicted to illegal drugs or using illegal drugs. Count 2 accuses Hunter Biden of lying to the federally licensed gun dealer in Wilmington where he bought the gun. The alleged lie was related to the same sworn statement on the ATF form. And Count 3 accuses Hunter Biden of illegally possessing a gun while using drugs or being addicted to drugs, which is a federal crime. He possessed the gun for 11 days in 2018. So, again, I'm not going to run through the rest of that because I'm sure there's plenty more to, be, to play out here. But that happened first time ever a sitting president's son has been indicted and these are on felony gun charges which could potentially or should if he was anyone other than the president's son he would probably be in prison already now moving over to australia we had the covid19 inquiry announced by the albanese government so one of the election promises that albanese made coming into the election before he was elected was that he was going to make a he was going to do a royal commission into our covid response or similar inquiry. So instead of doing the Royal Commission, we've gotten a COVID-19 inquiry. But as this uh, story from The Guardian exposes, the COVID-19 inquiry will exclude state and territory decisions, Anthony Albanese says. Let's read this and we'll, we'll go through a little bit of it. Uh, Anthony Albanese has announced a COVID-19 inquiry to consider Commonwealth responses to the pandemic, but excluding, in quotes, actions taken unilaterally by state and territory governments, close quotes. On Thursday, the Prime Minister announced the one-year inquiry will be headed by epidemiologist uh, Professor Catherine Bennett, health economist Dr. Angela Jackson, and the former Director General of New South Wales Health Department, uh, Robin Crook. Now, I haven't had a chance this week to look into any of these three people. If any of you out there listening have anything interesting about either uh, or any of them please share it with us the scope and powers of the inquiry have already sparked a war of words with the opposition which has uh, warned it is a complete waste of time if states cannot be compelled to give evidence a criticism albanese dismissed as absurd at a press conference in adelaide albanese repeatedly deflected questions about whether the inquiry will have compulsory powers telling reporters that seeking conflict is completely contrary to its aims the proposed scope of the inquiry includes, in quotes, the role of the Commonwealth, responsibilities of state and territory governments, and national governance mechanisms, including the National Cabinet. Potential topics of the inquiry include vaccine supply, broader health support for people affected by COVID-19 and or lockdowns, financial support for individuals, industry and business, community supports, international policies to support Australians at home and abroad, and mechanisms to better target future responses to the needs of particular populations, including First Nations Australians. But the scope excludes actions taken unilaterally by state and territory governments, which would exclude state border closures and could exclude the length and severity of lockdown restrictions and international programs and activities assisting foreign countries. 
Asked if the length of the lockdowns will be considered, Albanese told reporters the three inquiry heads can look at whatever they like. That is the point of an independent inquiry. So you can see the sort of doublespeak here. He's come out and he said that the inquiry is going to go for 12 months and it's going to look at these certain things and it's going to exclude things done by the states. And then he comes out and goes, oh, they can look at whatever they like. But they can only look at what the scope of the inquiry actually is. So this is doublespeak. Albanese said he wanted a process of learning from the pandemic that is constructive rather than destructive. We need to make sure that this is forward-focused and consider all of the Commonwealth responses to the pandemic. Now, there are two elements to that quote there that we want to focus on. Number one, he wants it to be forward-focused. In other words, he doesn't want there to be any accountability for anyone who made a decision in the past during the pandemic itself. All he wants to talk about is learnings from that period that we can then apply to future pandemics. The second thing is he says, and consider all of the Commonwealth responses to the pandemic. And that is key here. Asked if participation will be compulsory included by state leaders, Albanese said, I should imagine that everyone will want to participate in this. Uh, the inquiry will, will run for 12 months with a final report to be delivered by the 30th of September, 2024. Albanese explained a shorter inquiry was favored because a lot of work has already been done. There have been 20 different inquiries. Albanese confirmed that the premiers and chief ministers had been briefed about the proposal at the last national cabinet and had welcomed the idea. Now, I would also welcome an idea, a, a, a welcome an inquiry into nothing to do with my own personal conduct, with no accountability for myself. That sounds very welcome to me if I was in their position. Despite Albanese promising a royal commission or similar inquiry ahead of the election, the opposition leader Peter Dutton accused him of a significant broken promise on Thursday. Dutton said that Australians would be stunned to learn that premiers who were responsible for lockdowns were excluded from the inquiry, which he labelled a protection racket for Daniel Andrews and Anastasia Palaszczuk. The Shadow Health Minister Anne Rustin said the inquiry was a witch hunt against a previous coalition government and a cop-out because of the exclusion of states and territories. So that is also an interesting point about this, is if it is only looking into the actions of the Commonwealth at the time of the pandemic, basically it means all you're investigating is Scott Morrison's Liberal government. Many of the decisions that were made during the pandemic by the states and territories are the ones that probably impacted Australians the most, she said, whether that be the lockdowns, border closures, mandates and the like, which all had a very significant impact on Australians. So I'm, I'm not going to read the rest of this, but... Just a reminder for all of you, uh, because that last uh, sentence there was probably the most important thing. Th anything that was major that took our rights away during the pandemic was governed by the states. The states take care of their own health systems. Uh, the states imposed the border closures, which obviously affected many people uh, here in Southeast Queensland who regularly go over the New South Wales border to Tweed Heads. But obviously it affected everyone who couldn't get home to their homes and everything like that. That's all governed by the states. The mandates are the same. Mandates were mandated by the state governments. As everyone remembers, ScoMo coming out ad nauseum saying the, the, the federal government, there is no vaccine mandate. There is no mandate from the federal government. And that's because with the way that our constitution actually works in this country, the federal government wasn't able to impose the mandate. However, the federal government did facilitate the mandate to the states because they obviously, it was their job to uh, secure and supply the vaccines to each of the individual states, but also uh, to have the national data for the COVID Safe app 
that and also Medicare, which then had your COVID passport in it, your vaccine passport. So they gave the states the technology they needed to facilitate a national program. So obviously, this is not what we want. And there has been a lot of people coming out, uh, essentially trying to reject this inquiry. It is just going to be a whitewash. Uh, I have a, a statement here from Senator Malcolm Roberts. Now, it won't come up on the screen. I'll just read it to you. So this is from the 21st of September. Uh, Senator Roberts rejects whitewash inquiry and calls for royal commission. Senator Roberts has slammed the Albanese government's toothless inquiry into COVID, calling it an effort to hide from a royal commission with powers to compel testimony. The Albanese Labor government is running away from a royal commission that would actually have the power needed to investigate Australia's COVID response. Anything less than a COVID royal commission is a betrayal of everyday Australians and small businesses who were badly affected by our COVID response over the last three and a half years. Now, this is interest and very interesting point. One of the first things the government did when elected was call a royal commission into robo-debt. If that justifies a, a royal commission, how can the government argue one of the most expensive and invasive responses in our history doesn't? They can't unless they're trying to run a cover-up. The COVID response involved over $500 billion in printed money, causing the inflation problem we are still facing. 30,000 excess deaths in the year, with 50% not being attributed to COVID. The largest invasion of civil liberties in modern Australia, and all of it was done in secrecy. Instead of appointing three insiders to cover up the actions of their colleagues, we need a royal commission with the power to peel back the secrecy that both state and federal politicians and bureaucrats have hidden behind for years now. Before the end of the year, I will ask the Senate to replace the Prime Minister's Clayton's inquiry, instead asking the Senate Legal and Constitutional Affairs Committee to report and recommend terms of reference for a COVID royal commission to be established in the first half of 2024. We need a, we need a royal commission. Because here's something else that has just come out recently, which again, we sort of already knew about, we've already sort of covered, but this was one of uh, Dr. John Campbell's most recent videos from two days ago covering the fact that uh, vaccine mRNA has been proven to contaminate breast milk. So let's just play a short clip from this. Welcome to today's talk, Friday the 22nd of September. Now I'm going to be giving pretty conclusive proof today from a peer-reviewed published paper that mRNA from the COVID vaccines, the mRNA vaccines, has been found in breast milk. And this is consistent with other studies, so there's no real debate about this anymore. The mRNA from the vaccines goes into breast milk, probably for the first 48 hours after vaccination. Now, this is proof of systemic distribution of the vaccines. Now, local and systemic are the converse. So a local would stay where it's put. Systemic means it goes everywhere. Now, the reason this is important to me and, and to you uh, if you've been vaccinated especially, is that we were initially told by all the people in authority, the regulatory bodies and our chief doctors and everything, that this would just stay local, it would generate a local immune response and it would all be gone perhaps within a few hours. We know that this is not the case. Now, the problem in my mind is the evidence for this has emerged over time but these lipid nanoparticles, if these people had gone to the bother of talking to anyone who specialises in uh, pharmacokinetics, that they would have said, well, with this size of particle, it's likely to be distributed everywhere, almost certainly to be distributed everywhere. Why did they blag it? 
That's the thing that really annoys me. If they don't know, they should have said they don't know. And it now turns out it's systemically distributed. So after mRNA vaccine, it goes to your liver, it goes through your heart, it goes to your, in this case, through the breasts, probably through your thumbs and through your big toes and through your ears. It, it probably goes everywhere. And uh, it's really a pity we weren't told that. Had I been told that, that would have completely uh, reversed my decision to get vaccinated. So that's why I'm pretty cross about this. Uh, now, in the initial trials, breastfeeding mums, pregnant women and uh, infants were excluded from the trials. Yet, the regulatory bodies still decided to go ahead and give these vaccines, which weren't tested on pregnant mums, weren't tested on lactating mothers, breastfeeding mothers, weren't tested on infants, yet, despite this lack of testing, they decided to go ahead. That's a question they really need to answer. These vulnerable groups... Vaccination was advised despite the fact they were excluded from the initial trials. Authorised by MHR, Medicines Healthcare Products Regulator Authority, CDC, Health Canada, TGA, etc. Now, this study, um, it is published in a peer-reviewed journal. We'll look at that. 10 out of 13 women who were tested positive, tested positive for up to 45 hours. So that's what this is about. If you'd like to stay... Uh, so let's just leave that one there. So this is an example of something that won't, this won't be covered in the scope of the inquiry. Because the scope of inquiry is all just forward, forward looking. They're not going to go back and go, okay, who was it that told us? And think back right to the start of the vaccine rollout. What were we told about the vaccine? How did the vaccine work? We were told it would be injected into your deltoid muscle and it would create a local... Um, immune response because your deltoid muscle would have the mRNA go into it it would instruct the cells on how to create the spike the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein and then your your body would pick up on that it would create an immune response and then that would be the the training for your immune system for if you were to come into contact with SARS-CoV-2 and we were told over and over and over and over again by the same media companies that are currently telling you that Russell Brand's uh, a rapist, we were told that the vaccine stayed in your deltoid muscle. Now, this is very, very close to home for me because as I've discussed on the show many times before, uh, I've had two children during the pandemic. My first was, hap uh, was had just as the pandemic kicked off in Australia and my wife was pregnant with our second whilst the vaccine rollout was going through and all the mandates have been brought in. And they actually mandated it in her profession uh, prior to her going on maternity leave and made it extremely difficult for her because as any of you who are listening who have been pregnant would know, when you speak to your doctor whilst you're pregnant, they tell you about literally everything that you can't take and you can't eat because it might cause issues with the baby. And yet, for some reason, even though uh, babies and pregnant mothers were excluded from the original trials, our entire medical system told everyone that it was safe. And not only safe, it was advised for pregnant mothers to take these vaccines to help protect the baby. This is, again disgusting, wild, and 
One of the reasons why I am very, very concerned about this post-truth world that we live in, where there's no accountability for people who just come out and make statements that they can't even back up. Uh, why, why it's significant that the mRNA is excreted through the breast milk is, is two major reasons. Obviously, the first one is that this proves systemic distribution of the mRNA. So not the spike protein, the mRNA. So if that gets excreted through the breast milk, that means that your newborn child can be intaking mRNA through the breast milk, which can then travel anywhere in your new infant's body and then have, which wherever it ends up, have the mRNA instruct your infant cells in how to create spike protein from SARS-CoV-2, which we know is cytotoxic, which we know causes damage, which we also know that that mechanism of instructing your own body cells to produce a foreign antigen is causing autoimmune issues, where your body's immune system is actually attacking its own cells because they're generating this spike protein. So yeah, wild. Another thing that the conspiracy theorists said, hey, we like... They keep saying safe and effective. We have absolutely no way of proving that it's safe because we've never used it before. And we have no long-term data. That's what we were saying. We knew, we didn't know it was not going to be safe. We just knew that there's no way that they could have possibly known it was safe. Here's something else that happened. And I'll wrap this show up fairly shortly. I'll go through the next couple of things fairly quickly. US debt has just risen to $33 trillion. $33 trillion. Now, I just want to draw your attention to, this is a story uh, from the 6th of November, 2022. That was when the US national debt surpassed $30 trillion. And you'll remember that it was only a few months ago, Alex and I reported that the US Congress had come to an agreement about raising the debt limit and essentially putting no limit on US national debt for a, a small period of time. So literally, in less than 12 months, they've increased their national debt by $3 trillion. And Alex and I have spoken before about how Australia's national debt is currently at $1 trillion, and that's, that's horrendous for us. So three times our national debt has been what's been added to the US's national debt in less than 12 months. And why is this uh, interesting? Well... Biden's at it again. White House urges Congress to approve more military aid for Ukraine. Uh, Washington, on the 20th September, the White House on Wednesday appealed to Congress to approve billions of additional dollars of support for Ukraine as its counteroffensive against Russia forces, uh, forces, Russian forces, sorry, continues while the weather cools and conditions grow more difficult. U.S. President Joe Biden is looking forward to getting a battlefield perspective from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky when they meet at the White House on Thursday, White House spokesperson John Kirby told reporters. So, in a time where the U.S. national debt is out of $3 trillion in less than 12 months, Biden still wants to keep sending more money into a war zone. And, again, this is one of those emotional uh, news stories which, which uh, fires a lot of people up. And I'm just going to ask the question, any of you who is pro them continuing to send more and more billions of dollars into... A, and and just, just a reminder, what's a billion dollars? It's a thousand million dollars. That's a lot of money. 
So anyone who is pro continuing to send billions and billions of dollars into a war zone, what is, when does this end? What's the end game? When does this stop? Because I can tell you right now, there is no way in a million years that Ukraine will ever defeat Russia. They can't march on Russia's border and defeat them and take over their country. So that's never going to happen. And let's say that there's a 1% chance that that can happen. And we just keep talking about how Putin's got nukes and he's a psychopath, apparently, according to the media and the US government. So if that even was to happen, would Putin not just set off nukes? If he's going to get taken out and his country's going to get taken out, wouldn't that's the whole um, promise of mutually assured annihilation. That's the whole way that nuclear power, uh, sorry, nuclear bombs have essentially kept the world relatively uh, peaceful since their invention. So are we advocating for that? Do we want Ukraine to actually be able to do that? And then a lot of people say, oh, no, no, it's just, we just want Ukraine to be able to defend themselves. Yep, totally, totally understand that. Everyone should be able to defend themselves from a foreign invasion. But the only way this conflict ever actually ends is at the negotiating table where they negotiate a peace settlement. But we just, well, I say we, the US government just wants to keep sending US taxpayer dollars into a war zone. And we know where all the money's being funneled out to. We've seen countless stories of that over the last 12 months. So this, this $24 billion, that'll bring you somewhere in the, in the vicinity of $150, $160 billion that just the US has sent to Ukraine. That's not mentioning the European Union and every other country around the planet that's been sending money into a war zone. And just to contrast that, uh, here's a story from the 17th of August, my birthday. Joe Biden's aid to Hawaii versus Ukraine aid compared what we know. So obviously we've also spoke about on the show the the wildfires in Lahaina in Maui and essentially uh, it all boils down to the the Biden administration has they offered $700 per resident to uh, to the residents of Maui to help them rebuild their burnt down homes uh, after the wildfires yeah I'm not going to read the story I just thought I'd bring it up as a bit of a juxtaposition but there were, there's estimates in the story, and I've heard other estimates in the media, that the total cost, if you wanted to completely rebuild Maui and everything that's been lost, the total cost of that is somewhere around $5.5 billion. And yet Joe Biden was happy to pay 700 bucks per person who's been affected. But he wants another $24 billion to send into a war zone with a country that we're not even allied with. Got to ask the question, why, why are governments around the world so keen to support Ukraine and send money to Ukraine when their own people need help. And we experienced the same thing in Australia with the floods a few years ago. I think when the floods in Lismore happened, the government announced that uh, you could apply for like a one-off $3,000 payment if like you lost your home in a flood. And then there was a lot of stories that came out after the fact about how there was, you know, when the floods actually happened, it took, uh, I think, over a week for any emergency services to actually get down there and help. Uh, a lot of people who applied for that $3,000 payment were rejected because they said they couldn't prove that they were actually affected by the floods. And yet when the Ukraine war kicked off and America said jump, we said how high and we sent $800 million to Ukraine almost straight away. 
really makes you wonder doesn't it but that's it guys let's leave it there for this week thanks very much for joining me i'm really really sorry about the technical issues that we have hopefully uh alex will be back soon and we can get back to uh normal production but guys thank you very much for joining me if you're still listening i really really appreciate you stay safe and we'll see you next week